That's reminiscent of that time that she got caught drinking in college. Got drinking in college. Oh, and she told on herself. Yeah, to the police. police. (laughs) That was awesome. She was like free. She like got away with it. Yeah, and she follows them to tell them. (laughs) Well, I really I was drinking. I have something I need to tell you. I was like already crying. I walked up to them and there wasn't even a chance. I was just already tears. I was like, I'm sorry, officers. I feel (laughs) if I was a police officer and somebody did that, followed me to the parking (laughs) lot to confess, I would Uh, have the hardest time not laughing in their face. The whole time they were like, oh, honey, they had to ask me. They were like, do you know what year it is? Do you know who's the president? And I was like, yeah. But I could tell they were like, oh, oh. sweetie. Like, oh, you're I ridiculous. See, your reaction no, to being at a party and getting caught drinking underage is very different from mine. Wait, you got caught drinking underage? I was at a party and you the cops suck. came. I never got no. caught. I was, I was like two. It was two years ago. I was oh, two 20. years ago. I was okay. 20. No, I've been at po- college parties <laughs> and the cops came. And I, like, yeah. Had to run. Well, and I just sat there and like watched them as they walked past. And I was drunk. <laughs> they walked past me and I just waved to them. And then I just walked to my car, sat down, and then rolled my car seat all the way back so that I was just <laughs> laying flat until I saw the cops leave. And then I went back inside and drank some more. <laughs> oh Criminal God. mastermind. Oh, my. Like, I just wave, never got caught. Leave. I don't know. Anyway, should we, should we do a podcast? <laughs> Sorry, I just re- <laughs> I just remembered making fun of Evie's laughing last night. I'm sorry, it just popped into my head. Sit she down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls. It's all really fucked up, so don't you be fooled. It's effed up family story time. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to F'd Up Family Storytime. I'm Salem. And I'm Hannah. And that's... Who the fuck are you guys? I'm Belle. I, I thought I just <laughs> to the left. I was waiting for I'm Belle. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm Belle. <laughs> and I'm Jess. And we're yeah. here to talk to you about some, some F'd Up things. Fucked up. Some F'd Up things. things. Fucked up. Thing. I refuse to censor myself. Don't this censor yourself. Free. Fuck. Free media. <laughs> so we're here recording our sixth episode, Woo-hoo. which is kind of cool. Welcome. Number six. We should learn to sing fuck in harmony and just do it every now and then as a group. Fuck. fuck. What a jazzy chord. <laughs> That was real jazzy. <laughs> I think I was not singing the right note. No, I'm but not we good made it fit. Stuff, it worked. But yeah, it worked. So I'm glad you guys could all fit around me. We as did. It should. <laughs> we did. That's the way so. it should be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. So. News. News. There's a new drink in town. New Is there a new drink. drink in town? It's got mixed reviews. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but today we're drinking Dragon Spice. So this is in honor of all those pumpkin spice lovers out there for because tis the season for pumpkin spice. And we're going back to our roots with our beer cider mixtures. So if you think back to episodes one and two, it's where we're headed. And today we are drinking a mixture of Oktoberfest beer. The one we're using is by Left Hand Brewery, so a local Colorado brewery out of Longmont. And then we are drinking pumpkin cider with it so it's half and half half oktoberfest half pumpkin cider it's a very interesting drink some of us thought it was okay others really enjoyed it from the beginning we all agree that it tastes better the longer you drink it don't give it a chance don't know if that has to do with the buzz you get from it or if it just actually tastes better the longer you drink it but that is dragon spice cheers yeah it's good I'm just drinking cider. I'm just drinking Oktoberfest like now. like fall in a cup. <laughs> Pumpkin, I mean, apple, spice. Yeah. You get the spices from the Oktoberfest and then the apple and pumpkin from the cider. So it is kind of like fall in a cup. Like a Thanksgiving dessert, but like boozy. 
It definitely tastes better the more I drink it, but it could just because I've had a couple. Yeah. The first drink was interesting. Mm-hmm. Second drink to me was gross. And then the third <laughs> drink was okay, and it's been fine since then. Yeah. So we don't promise to be expert mixologists no. here, so you can try our concoctions at your own risk. But uh, if anybody's interested in giving us their opinion on the show or just dropping us a line, telling us what you think about our drinks, you can always reach out to us. We have a Facebook page, and uh, we're also on Twitter and on Instagram. FFS the podcast. You'll yes. find us with that. You can also email us at FFS the podcast at gmail.com. We would like to hear from people. Just like to know, get some feedback. Yeah. Don't be mean to me. And tell your friends. Don't be mean <laughs> to me. Now we've hoard ourselves out enough. <laughs> I mean, you can be mean to me. I'm pretty thick skinned. This is Jess. It's just okay. to be clear, you can be mean to me. I may be mean back to you. Just want to throw that out there. It's a very strong possibility. I see that. It's fairly likely. (laughs) Are mean to me, I'll call you out on the podcast. There you go. Be prepared. We never promised good drinks, just unique drinks. Drinks. We promised (laughs) drinks. And they are boozy, all of them. Yeah. And, (laughs) And to be fair, sixth episode this is the first one that hasn't unanimously been enjoyed by the podcast presenters so just saying we're we're i got a pretty good record on a good run yeah all right so that's our drink (laughs) yay yay so we are coming up on thanksgiving and this podcast hopefully will be released what like about a week and a half before thanksgiving or so yeah yeah so in honor of that we are having an effed up thanksgiving podcast and it's Jess that's going to be telling the story this yeah. time. Woo-hoo. It's Jess. <laughs> Every Thanksgiving is effed up because it's based off of fucking well, murder. We're not going to talk about that, though. <laughs> we're not going to get Maybe into the genocide and other horrible things that are actually associated with Thanksgiving in the past. We're going to talk more about the homicide that's associated with Thanksgiving in the 20th century. Woohoo! Um, but before we start, I just want to share a little bit of the history of how Thanksgiving came to be. So if you don't care about history, fast forward about a minute into the podcast and you'll get to the juicy stuff. Um, now, I don't know about you guys, but I think that most people think that the first Thanksgiving was the pilgrims and the Native Americans or American Indians. I'm not sure which one's politically correct currently, um, but where they came together to celebrate their harvest and how the Native Americans showed the pilgrims how to grow things and how to catch things so the pilgrims didn't die anymore. But in reality, Thanksgiving was actually a common thing. Um, Dating back to the 16th century, there's evidence that Spanish and French settlers would declare days of thanks, which was a day to um, keep holy and to give thanks to the almighty God. And that continued as new settlers came to the Americas. Jamestown had a Thanksgiving Day in 1610. And then the first English settlers, they were part of the Londoners group that were sent. They had a Thanksgiving in 1619. And then in 1621 came what we tend to think of as the first Thanksgiving when the pilgrims and the Native Americans uh, celebrated their first harvest. And this happened sometime in the fall. About 90 Native Americans and 53 pilgrims came together and celebrated the work that they had achieved uh, throughout the summer. And now they had enough food and other goods to survive the, the winter. Um, Thanksgiving Day continued to be celebrated sporadically after that. Um, George Washington even declared a Thanksgiving Day in 1977 in December to celebrate the defeat of the British at Saratoga. And then in 1863, Abraham Lincoln declared Thanksgiving a federal holiday to be celebrated in November. So that's just a little bit of a background. I think we all think of Thanksgiving as this horrible time of genocide and killing the Native Americans. But really, Thanksgiving is about giving thanks. And it was something that happened before all of that fun stuff with the pilgrims. Now, since there are a lot of not great things that happened during the settlement of the Americas... So what better to talk about than horrible unsolved crimes that happened during the Thanksgiving holiday? Dun, dun, dun. Ah. 
So we'll start with the oldest crime that I could find. The murder of John H. Woodruff in 1919. John H. Woodruff was a game protector for the New York State Environmental Conservation Police. So as far as I can tell, that seems to be like what we would call a park ranger nowadays. Okay. But he was responsible for making sure people followed game laws and things like that in our national forests. And he was out of New York. Um, On Thanksgiving Day in 1919, he left to patrol the forest on reports of a foreign visitor suspected suspected of game viol- game law violations. Let's see if I can talk for the rest of this podcast. Oh <laughs> um, he never came home. So they sent out search parties, but they were never able to locate John until two years later. On April 4th, 1921, his remains were discovered in a hole near a creek bed. His revolver was missing, and his skull was detached from his body. Ew. I know, right? It appeared an axe had been used in the attack. There were no leads other than a supposed threatening letter that his wife alluded to him receiving. The case has never been solved. So there's not a lot of details on that one because, you know, it was 1919. Limited things I could find. Wait. When you say that his skull was detached from mm-hmm. his body, do you mean like his entire head? Because I imagine just like yes, his so they- skull like either <laughs> floating around in his body or like his head being flat. Just, just like his skin. just the parietal bone was missing from oh, okay. his head. No, his his head, his oh, okay. skull. What you would think okay. of as a skull, think of a pirate skull, right? That's the face and the head and the teeth and the grin. Yeah, what Bell's but holding right he now. He said it was two days later, so I assume no, it's two like, years two later. Years. Two days later, on April fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm if I tired. Said, if I said two days, I no, apologize. You said two years. I'm just two an years. idiot. So yeah, so his col- skull okay. was detached. It was hard to find any other information. I, it's possible he might have had blunt force trauma to his skull as well as his skull being detached from his body but it appeared that an axe was the weapon so that one's really that one's really simple and basic like i said there wasn't a lot of information you have to remember it happened in 1919 the fact that i found out that john h woodruff was a game protector (laughs) for the state of new york was a lucky find (laughs) um found him on the fallen officers page oh that's kind of cool yeah did you guys know that there's a whole database, too, of missing persons? That's where I found a lot yeah, of this yeah. information. Thought I'd start us off in the early 1900s as we make our way through unsolved Thanksgiving crimes of the 20th century. <laughs> For somebody who wants this podcast to, to go serious, quickly. Yeah. I'm literally not saying anything. (laughs) You are, however, for the listener who can't see, Hannah is sitting at our table recording with a fake skull balanced on her head. You can't prove it. Belle and Salem will both be taking pictures shortly. (laughs) No! can't prove anything it's too late. and it's possible it will be posted on some sort of social media in the future. Hannah's a dork. I have evidence. (laughs) So that's all I have for that story. That was the oldest crime I could find. I really wanted to try to find some Thanksgiving crimes from like the 16, 17, 1800s. But, you know, not a lot out there that's documented. So that was the oldest one that I could find. Next, we're going to jump to 1977 and the murder of Beth Lynn Barr. So it was the day before Thanksgiving in 1977, and Bethlyn Barr left school to head home. School, re- school was released an hour early, as was tradition in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. Now, normally, she would have walked home with her brother and her friend who lived nearby, but today, she was alone. Her brother was sick and hadn't gone to school that day, and her friend was picked up by her mother to do some shopping that afternoon. So, wearing a red pantsuit, plaid coat, and blue tennis shoes. How 70s. I know, right? Totally. (laughs) In her beautiful 70s outfit, she began the two-fifths of a mile walk home. 
Now, on her route home, she passed by a bus stop. The interesting thing is that at that same bus stop on that day, a woman claims a man in a blue sedan made lewd comments to her and tried to get her to leave with him. And that was just a few hours before Beth got out of school. And then on that same street, witnesses claim to have seen a man carrying a girl in a red pantsuit and blue shoes and putting her in a blue sedan. Mm -hmm. So Beth never made it home. Once they realized that she hadn't come home, search parties were sent out, but there was no sign of Beth and they never found her. Until 16 months later. So in Monroeville, which is a city in Monroeville, which is a city near Wilkinsburg, a man walking his dog found Beth's body in a shallow grave in the woods adjacent to the Restland Memorial Park. She was still wearing the same red pantsuit, plaid coat, and blue sneakers, but was stabbed several times in the chest. Oh, sad. Now, authorities are unsure if she was taken to the spot the same day she was abducted or a few days or weeks later. The coroner said time of death was consistent with the time she was abducted, but after 16 months, it's impossible to be more exact than a few weeks' time frame. Mm-hmm. Now, likely, though, because she had that red pantsuit on in the same outfit, um, authorities think it was pretty soon after she was abducted that she was yeah. left there. What was this guy looking for? I mean, that's kind of weird. Well, he tried to abduct another lady. Mm-hmm. I mean, her clothes were on. Did it say whether she was raped? So I didn't find any evidence that she was sexually assaulted. And the funny thing is they did talk a little bit about that, right? Like serial killers. But there is evidence of serial killers who don't discriminate. Like serial killers who kill men, women, children. There's no preference it's just, I guess to he, it. It's just finding what's easy to get to. He just wanted to kill something. Right. And finding what okay. you can get easily. Um, so that's the interesting the thing, day right? Like what did this guy want? Mm-hmm. And I could not find anything anywhere because I had the same question. There were things that I found that said that, well, you know, it indicates he was a pedophile because he took a young girl, but nothing ever said there was any evidence of sexual assault or anything like that. Just the a crime of availability. Kind of like I need convenience. To, I need to kill opportunity. Something. Thank you. That's the word I'm crime of opportunity. For. I need. To, I want to kill someone. This, you know, I tried to get this woman. Who knows who else he tried he might, to get yeah. in the time frame. But then, hey, there's this little girl that I can overpower and take. Yeah. Isolate that sound of Jesse saying, I want to kill someone. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> I want to kill. Kill. <laughs> Sorry, Alice's a- restaurant. Oh, Do yeah. I want to okay. kill. Kill. Talk kill. about Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Listen to that. That's a great song. But that's so... That's what we know of Beth Lindbar. Um, there are claims that the investigation was mishandled. So local authorities in Wilkinsburg refused the help of county as well as the city of Pittsburgh police. They refused their help, preferring to handle it locally. Yeah, right? No. I know, right? Um, it said that tips were not followed up on and suspects were not properly investigated. Um, there's also a report. So... Of a man, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, this was a police officer in another county or another city, saw a man who matched the description that they were given of the man thought to have put Beth in his car at a hardware store buying a shovel around the time that Beth disappeared. He reported it to the Wilkinsburg police um, and the man was brought in by police but was released very quickly and nothing was ever followed up on with him. So there's a lot of speculation that the investigation could have been handled better, that they might have caught the person who took Beth, um, but they basically screwed up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the 70s, that happened a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Small towns. I don't know. Where was this again? Uh, Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. So I imagine it wasn't a very big town. 
No, no, it was a small so, town. The, you know, and then there's pride. I mean, it was small enough that I think I don't think I mentioned this, but I believe Beth was only six, so it was a small enough town that a six-year-old was walking oh, home from wow. school alone. No, that makes things totally and like, she different was, in my mind. The fact that she was only yeah, six I years she old, was like a teenager. And oh, so I'm sorry, to, I failed at my first story. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That was the see, so you buried the lead. I'm is good what at that. You did yeah. right there. But yeah, she only lived two-fifths of a mile away from the school. And she was six. And she normally walked with, you know, brother well, and friends. But she, they, but it was 1977. When I, I would have maybe walked home alone. Well, and maybe, yeah. And that would have been in the 80s even. Like, this was 1977. I walked home alone when I was like 10. I was eight and I walked home alone. I remember walking home alone mm-hmm. in third grade, which means I would have been eight. So, Bethlyn Barr, don't know if I said this or not. Um, while there are still several suspects, the case is still unsolved. Now we're going to jump to 1990, and we're going to talk about the disappearance of Paul Knockle, or Knockle if you want to search him. So uh, K-N-O-C-K-E-L. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, so Paul Knockle was a 53-year-old single man from Dubuque, Iowa. He had no children of his own, but it was said he lived for spending time with his family. So parents, sisters, brothers, nephews, etc. Um, his nephew, Dennis. So Kelly. Yes, yeah. it's Kelly. Yeah. Loves her nieces slash stepnephews, but in our family, just nephews. Just nephews. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anywho. So Dennis Knoll is quoted as saying, The fun times we had with him as kids, growing up and everything, some of the fun things we did together, I guess, as an uncle and nephew. So kind of a weird quote, but what I take from that is that they had a good time, right? It's kind of like Kelly and her nieces, and, you know, we had fun times growing up. Kelly's fucking awesome. Kelly's great. That's why no, I love Kelly. That's why Kelly gets She's Evie amazing. if I die. Not you or Hannah. No, Kelly. I don't. I mean, I love you, Evie, but I don't <laughs> want Evie when you die. I really no. don't. Also, Dude, don't trust either of us. She's, she's tough to handle, I'm telling you. Um, but it just illustrates that he really cared about his family, and family was super important to him. Um, he was also very particular, and he never left the house without his wallet and what they called his good shoes. So, <laughs> that's awesome so he had speaking good, of where's good my good shoes? shoes i'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> I but where's my shoes i almost them and i forgot yeah. oh. okay okay so but we all know what that means right you have yeah. your crappy yeah. shoes like your lawn mowing shoes and then you have i have my shoes. shoes that i wear everywhere that i go they're my yeah. good shoes yeah. yeah um now there are varying reports as to when paul was last seen but what we do know is he was last seen sometime in mid-november of 1990 he failed to show up for Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Very uncharacteristic, as we already talked about how much he cared about his family and loved spending time with them. So when he didn't show up, his family went to his house. They found his car, which was a maroon 1981 Mercury, gone. But they found his wallet, his watch, and his good shoes inside his house. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Huh. Right? So we've already established that it is very, very unlikely that Paul would have left without those. So then, when he didn't show up for work on Monday, his family reported him as missing. So they waited till the Monday after Thanksgiving. Just, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we'd probably do the same thing. If I went to Belle's house because she didn't show up on Thanksgiving and she wasn't there, I'd be like, pfft. She's probably out somewhere getting a high, drinking with her friends. Probably. But then if she didn't show up to work. If I didn't go to work, yeah. Then I'd report her missing. So they reported him missing. Now, police stated that, <laughs> I have a typo here. Police stated that Knockle wasn't involved in any high-risk activities. He didn't do drugs, excessively use alcohol, or even use it at all, really. And he didn't have any enemies at the time of his disappearance. Can you think of any enemies that you have? Just like that's really funny, like a funny phrase. Like, do you have any enemies? I do. The worst. No. Now, authorities think it's possible that Paul ended up in the Mississippi River. So I don't know if you know the path of the Mississippi River, but it's pretty close to Dubuque, Iowa. I didn't know that until I did this research. So they think it's possible he went into the Mississippi River, but they're not sure whether his disappearance was accidental a suicide, or a homicide. 
Now, his family believes he was abducted and murdered. They feel he would never have left it on his own, which would explain why he left behind his wallet and his good shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, to this day, his murder has never been solved. There's some interesting things that happened. It's funny because when I looked, dates were kind of a little all over the place. But there's reports that his maroon car was seen on the side of a highway that goes near Dubuque. But by the time police got there, it had been moved um, and weird things like that. But to this day, they've not found a body. They've not found any sign of foul play. But they also have no clue what happened to Paul. So So. weird. I feel like if it was like a suicide, they would have found a body. Or his car, Because how can you dispose of a body if you're like... You know, I mean, if he did, if he weighed his if he weighed his body down and jumped in the Mississippi yeah, River, it's pretty deep. Right. That's true. But his car like would be forever. somewhere. Right. Yeah. His car would be somewhere. You got to wonder. I mean, and this is purely totally like fantastical speculation on my part. Maybe but he got abducted by like, aliens. well, n- maybe. And that and they took us car. into stay tuned for next, next episode, week. Our very first alien, alien episode. And if you want. You need to buy a black light for the drink if you want to see the cool effect. All right. I'll keep mine out from Halloween. I haven't put them away yet. Okay. She doesn't know what it's going to be, but it's amazing. (laughs) But it's going to glow. It's going to fucking glow. Why do we expect her to know now? That's two weeks away. Anyway, but my fantastical speculation is like we never really know what's going on. Like, okay, somebody, especially somebody who doesn't, isn't married, doesn't have any children. Mm -hmm. He's close with his family, but he obviously doesn't see his family every day or they wouldn't have waited until Monday. Like mom wouldn't wait until Monday if one of us didn't didn't show up for Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, yeah. so you got to wonder, could it be something weird? Like he got himself caught up in some fucking weird, like he owed money, gambling debts, the mob, some kind of weird, weird shit. Cult. And he had to leave and he didn't have time to get his good shoes and he didn't have time to get his fucking wallet. He didn't need his wallet because he was changing his identity anyway. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like, I mean, but it's weird, likelihood right? he was some foul play it's of some so, sort. It's weird that his car was never found yeah. there either. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. It seems like he drove off somewhere would be what I would think, but he didn't have any of his shit, so why would he drive off somewhere? Well, and it's weird that witnesses saw his car, and as far as I could tell, they didn't see him in his car, just his car on the side of the highway, but then it was moved. Uh-huh. That's weird, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that is kind of weird. Huh. That's some foul play with the police and shit i don't know i don't know there's a mystery it's a true cover mystery. up now one thing i read one place and so i didn't really include it in here because i don't know how valid it is but there were um reports that he had a mental disability so he worked menial jobs he wasn't he was able to live on his own but wasn't very good at like relationships and things like that from what i could tell don't know how true that is because I couldn't really find it anywhere else. But I mean, that could play into it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that, he could be easily swayed potentially mm-hmm. to like believe a story yeah. that isn't true to be to and, be manipulated. Yeah. And it was weird because there was nothing that indicated it. It was just like one little blurb that like Paul is mentally disabled and unable hmm. to you know read situations, blah blah blah. And so, I mean, if that's true then that could be a big impact on what might yeah. have happened to him, that right? could be. That's sad. Oh, man, I did this out of order. So I was going to go in chronological order, but I screwed up. I fucked up. So this was supposed to go before 1990 because it happened in 1985. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about the Blount family bombing in 1985. So this is kind of an interesting story. So we have the Blount family, and they were enjoying a Thanksgiving together at Joe and Susan Blount's trailer home in the suburbs of Fort Worth, Texas. Um, for Thanksgiving in attendance were Joe and Susan, their daughter Angela, their son Robert, Joe's brother Carl Ray, in quotations, and Carl's longtime estranged son, Michael Columbus. So they had dinner. It was great. It was fine. Uh, Ray went home about 5 p.m. And Susan, at 9 p.m., went to lie down for a nap. 
which I think is hilarious because at 9 p.m. that just means that's going to bed. Just gonna go to bed. Yeah. Like <laughs> what? Like I, I just loved that at 9 p.m. she went to lie down for a nap. Like, do you stay up How till four in the morning? Are your Thanksgiving? No doubt. Like after the 4 p.m. giant turkey dinner, I'm in for the night. Like, right. Well, Ray's got the right idea. Going home at five. Right. Why didn't she go lie down for a nap? At 5, 5.30, like four hours later, she went to lie down for a nap. But anyway, I just thought that was funny. I'm like, at 9 p.m., nobody takes a nap at 9 p.m. That's bedtime. Yeah. So anyway, um, Joe, Robert, Angela, and Michael went to a convenience store about a half a mile away from the trailer park where they bought snacks and beer. So this was after Susan went to lie down for her nap at 9 p.m., They went and got snacks and beer um, not too far from their home. Now, soon after they left, Susan heard a knock at the front door. She went and looked out the window, didn't see anyone, and so she returned to her nap, or as I like to think of it, bedtime. Slumber. (laughs) Joe and the kids returned home, and they found a briefcase on the doorstep. Okay, so clearly... In 1985, they weren't following any true crime things because if I came home and there was a random briefcase on my doorstep, I would back away slowly and call the police. Instead, the kids got very excited. They were convinced there was money or jewels or something inside. That's totally the 80s. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? Hidden treasure. Right? Exactly. They watched Goonies. I don't know. When did Goonies come out? Maybe this is before Goonies, but... But still, the, the, the theme thought, was the there. Thought, yeah. The idea. Um, so they took the briefcase inside. Angela popped the latches open, and it exploded. Oh. I know, right? Fucking crazy. So Joe, who was 44, Angela, who was only 15, and Michael, who was only 18, were instantly killed by the blast. That's sad. I know, right? On Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanksgiving night-ish after 9 p.m. when Susan took a nap. But still Thanksgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before midnight, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Midnight. Now, as far as I can find, I couldn't find any information on suspects or the investigation after it happened. But in 1997, a prime suspect was revealed. So, which I thought was crazy. And I looked and looked and looked and couldn't find anything about what happened from 1985 (laughs) to 1997. Yeah. Um, But a man named Michael Roy Tony was in jail for burglary. He was awaiting trial for his burglary charges. He reportedly told a fellow inmate, Charles Jack. There's in this story. There's lots of middle names with quotes. Charles Jack Ferris that he was responsible for the Blount family bombing. Now, Ferris told authorities, so he went to authorities and told them that Tony confessed, which actually caused him to get released from prison. It was one of those, like, I'll give you information, you let me out kind of deals. So he told them that Tony confessed to it and was released from prison. After he provided that information, investigators questioned Tony's ex-wife, who I could not find the name of, so we will refer to her as his ex-wife or Ms. Tony from this point on. Don't know what her name was. So they they questioned her, and she said that Tony and his best friend Chris Meeks, or ex-best friend, because they're not best friends anymore, Chris Meeks, they went to a propane shop that was near... The Hilltop Mobile Home Park, which was the mobile home park where the Blounts lived. Propane. Tony got out of the truck with a briefcase and disappeared. He then returned a short while later without the briefcase, and they just left. So that Hmm. was Tony's ex-wife's story. Yeah, pretty incriminating. Mm -hmm, Right? Now, the interesting thing is that when they first questioned her, she was like, she was like, Michael involved in a bombing? No way. But then she thought about it and called them back and gave them this story. Uh-huh. And that's the story that she actually presented as testimony during Michael Roy Tony's trial. Hank Hill would not stand for such a grievous <laughs> misuse of propane. You're right about right? that. I don't even think they got propane. They just stopped at a propane store and he walked away with a briefcase. 
and then yeah. came back without it. Now, after a few months passed, Ferris, who was Tony's cellmate, the one who said that Tony told him the story, changed his story about Tony's confession. He claimed that Tony made it all up so that Ferris could use that information to get out of jail earlier, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because Tony's like, hey, man, why don't you get out of jail? I'll stay in here. So you tell him this crazy story yeah. about how I killed people and you get a like, really? Why would somebody like, do that? Yeah. 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 So I thought that was interesting. But whatever. That's what Ferris said a few months later, that the whole story was made up. Okay. Now, Tony still went to trial. He was still charged with the bombing. The trial didn't start till 1999. Now, during that trial, we had the testimony of his ex-wife. We also had a few other interesting things revealed. Um, a, a, a cellmate of Tony's testified that Tony told him he was paid $5,000 for the job, which was supposed to be part of a drug hit. But the bomb was put on the wrong doorstep. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, which actually lines up with the statement of a man who lived across the street from the Blounts who said he was involved in illegal weapons sales and he thought the bomb might have been for him. Oh, no. Right? Man. But that guy feels like shit. Right? Oh, shit. But here's the other interesting thing. Later on, the cellmate who made that testimony claims now that he made the story up so that Tony never told him anything about being paid $5,000 and putting it on the wrong doorstep nice. and all of that. So he claims it's made up now. Now, Tony's best friend, Chris Meeks, who was part of his ex-wife's story, he was supposedly with them when Tony walked off with the briefcase and all of that. Um, he also testified, but his story was inconsistent. It didn't match Tony's ex-wife's story. And then in 2001, he actually signed an affidavit t basically taking back hmm. all of the things he said during the testimony, saying that they were untrue. Hmm. Okay. Now, the funny thing with all of this is that throughout the trial, Tony was actually convicted and really? sentenced for this crime. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Tony claims he didn't know about the crime until 1997. And he didn't even know that Hilltop Mobile Home Park existed until right before his trial. His conviction was eventually overturned, mostly due to the mishandling of ev evidence. So supposedly, the DA's office withheld 14 pieces of evidence that would have been key to his defense. So I don't know how much you guys know about um, courtroom proceedings and trials and all of that but the prosecution is required to share any evidence that they find with the defense mm -hmm. so the defense can prepare a proper defense mm -hmm. for the person so according to this that was withheld so since so his conviction was overturned yep and since then the case has been handed over to the texas attorney general's office and to this date it still remains unsolved huh weird so that was the Blount family bombing. And that's sad. If I it was know, just right. placed on the wrong doorstep. Right? Well, and from everything I read, like Joe Blount was just a mechanical a mechanic. He was yeah. a very talented it's, mechanic. There's no evidence. Sounds like they were just working class family mm -hmm. going out to get some beer on a Thanksgiving that mom mm -hmm. went to bed. And so now the kids can have a little um, fun. Mom went to take a nap. I'm a sorry. Nap, yeah. <laughs> to take um, a nap. I think it was the cellmate. What do you mean? The cellmate who told the story and then took it all back. He was Which the one? Because one two, the bomb. two told the story and took it all back. Two, Fer the first well, one, Ferris, the one who got claimed out. that Tony told him he did it and yeah. he got out. Yeah, and then there was a second cellmate who was actually attempting to get his charges decreased yeah. or dropped. He claimed huh. he was the one who claimed that Blount. Yeah, there were yeah. two different cellmates who told stories saying that Tony did it. One just said that Tony did it. Makes you think that it. Tony did it, or those two guys plotted did it together, him. or they just wanted to reduce their sentences, and so they made some shit up and said, the first "I have guy, info for you." First guy did it, blamed it on Tony, and then the second guy <laughs> jumped on the bandwagon and was like, "Yeah, yeah, Tony did it." Yeah, it was Tony. So I have one more unsolved story. Okay, this one is very interesting to me and you'll see why in a second 
or a minute. I don't know. Second being relative, not the actual literal meaning of a second. <laughs> Time is relative. Really Nothing matters. Yeah. Everything's a myth. And this is the disappearance of Karen Mitchell in 1997. So you can see we've gone from 1919 to 1997. Welcome to the 20th century. So 16-year-old Karen Mitchell was on Thanksgiving vacation from high school. On the afternoon of November 25th, 1997, in Eureka, California, she left her place of work, making a quick stop to visit her aunt, Annie Casper, at the shoe store that her aunt owned in the mall. Now, she left her aunt's shoe store about 2.45 p.m. and was never heard from again. Huh. There is a witness who believes they saw Karen get into a light blue four-door sedan. The vehicle had California license plates and Eureka imprinted on the rear plates frame. Okay. Now, the driver of the car is described as a Caucasian male. He's approximately 60 to 70 years old. He's got balding, light gray or sandy blonde hair. And he had a small build and wore eyeglasses. Now, this witness claimed that the car actually pulled across the street, nearly hit him before stopping for a girl matching Karen's description and picking up that girl. So here's where it gets really interesting, though. Based on the description of the man driving the car, Robert Durst became a person of interest in Karen's disappearance. Now, if you don't know who Robert Durst is, he is considered a prime suspect in the disappearance of his wife, Kathleen, in 1982. And if you want to know more about Robert Durst, you can watch the HBO documentary Jinx. It's really, really it's good. So good. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's incredible. So not only is Robert Durst... Con- considered a prime suspect in the disappearance of his wife Kathleen there are other disappearances murders etc that he is considered a person of interest or suspect in depending on the case you know varies person of interest just means they're interested in him suspect means they have some sort of evidence that could potentially tie them to um, the case Um, but I thought that was very interesting that That's Robert crazy. Durst yeah. was considered a suspect or a potent, a person of interest yeah. in Ka- in uh, Karen's disappearance. Huh. Now, apparently Durst visited Casper. So that was uh, Karen's aunt, Annie Casper. He visited her store several times in March of 1998, which was only four months after Karen disappeared. And he also resembles the sketch of the man wanted for questioning in Karen's case. So the sketch of the man in that car that that witness provided to authorities. So interesting connection. You can see, um, you can see online, you can see a sketch of the man in the car and they have a picture of Robert Durst up next to it. And you can see kind of the symbol similarities and resemblances. Yeah. Um, Now, even though investigators looked into the possibility that Robert Durst was in the Eureka area at the time of her disappearance, he has never been charged with any involvement. Not Um, enough evidence, I'm sure. Mm -mm. But interesting, interesting connection, Mm -hmm. which I thought was crazy. And if you haven't watched Jinx, because it's awesome. (laughs) The last episode just made me, like, want to scream out loud. Oh, watch it, Salem. Made me want to yell, oh, my God. I think I might have. Anywho, um, so (laughs) another connection in this case, though, Karen is actually considered part of what's called the Humboldt Missing Five. So there were five women over the course of actually quite a few years who disappeared in Humboldt County. So they all disappeared in the same area. And Karen is actually the second victim of the Humboldt Five. What's interesting is that there is a man, Jim Jones, who's also never been charged with anything, who um, is is believed to have known Karen and also two other women who are part of the Humboldt Five. So we've got a couple of suspects who could potentially, or persons of interest, who could potentially be connected to Karen's disappearance. But even though we have those two, her case currently remains unsolved. Do you think that there's something in the land in California that makes people crazy? Or if yes. it's just because of the 
the disproportionate number of population that live in the state of California that there's just more crazy people concentrated in one area or if it's like I think it's both California just sucks man there's so much crazy shit that always happens in California yeah I think it's both I do think there's something to be said for certain areas that attract a certain kind of person which even though the population is greater obviously it increases the odds of crazy stuff happening but if you think about certain areas where stuff happens all the time like australia i think there's just well but australia yeah is because it used to be a a colony of criminals but i do think there's something to be said about certain areas attracting a certain kind of person because it's easier because they're possibilities are greater like they can find what they're the looking weather's for better easier. they don't have to deal with mm-hmm. you know that kind of obstacle i don't know but i think also with the population like bell's kind of talking about it's that mm-hmm. it gives you more options so gives think about the serial killers too, from you know? that like you blend in yeah anonymity you blend in better you have more choices of your victims like mm-hmm. weird stuff like that so i'm guessing then that the humboldt five they're thinking that Robert Durst might be a suspect for all of those then or if I remember correctly there was only one other really Hmm. but at this point in time with the Humboldt five they don't even know for sure if they are all connected it just happens to be five women in the same area who have all disappeared um three of them include which includes Karen um know the same person but they don't really know a lot for yeah. it at this time they all could be five different people who perpetrated the crime they could one of them could have ran off on their own they don't you know there's yeah. unfortunately that's just five women in the same area that they don't have any information on mm-hmm. that makes sense well, those are good stories Jess. yeah oh, thank well, you thanks thanks so happy mysteries. thanksgiving yay yay <gasps> Love your family. Love your family. Love. Be thankful for the things that you have. Yeah. they could disappear later. All of these sad stories, <laughs> you know, they all different scenarios, but they were a reminder of mm-hmm. take joy in the time that you have mm-hmm. with the people that you love and don't take anything for granted. Yeah. Be because grateful. I bet Annie Casper, yep. who technically at the time was Karen Mitchell's legal guardian due to a variety of things. I bet she never expected to spend Thanksgiving without Karen. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and like um, the little girl, Beth, that was oh, killed man. the day before Thanksgiving. Ugh. How hard that would be. Mm-hmm. So sad. If you're interested in learning more about uh, Beth Lynn Tarr, so, there, so I found a ton of information on a blog um, called One Day in November. So if you search One Day in November... You should find it. I don't know if that's the exact name I of the blog. I can try to put a link to it on the um, Facebook or but something. But it's a reporter who actually comes from that area and worked for the, what was the name of the city? The Wilkinsburg paper and was assigned to that story. And over the years, they have continued to follow that story and take leads from people. So they have a whole blog that outlines cool. all the details. So I didn't even begin to touch on how much information that that blog has about the different disappearance of beth so that was very interesting and it's it's really cool to find something that like this person was there from the beginning and actually reported on it and was there for the whole thing and has kept it going and kept researching it and looking into it after all these years yeah that is cool when you see that so that's pretty cool um other than that i don't there wasn't uh, much fun stuff that you could go look at about any of the other people, but I thought that blog was pretty awesome. <sighs> All right, guys. Is it time for Things That Don't Suck? Things, things that, that don't suck. That don't things that don't suck. Do you guys have stuff that don't suck? Kyle got a raise, and now my life's going to be easier because we have more money coming in. Yay! Yay, and yay Kyle. Awesome. So Go proud Kyle. of Congrats Kyle. for Kyle. He's Dude. such a worker. his butt off, man. Always. That Capricorn energy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Focus, man. Constantly working. That's pretty yeah. cool. Um, Things that don't suck for me. This is Jess, by the way. Um, I still don't have a new job i don't know that that's the thing that doesn't suck but i have a few leads 
And I still yeah. have two thirds of my severance pay from my old job. That's yeah. awesome. So I'm not going to go hungry anytime soon. So I'm happy yeah. about that. Yeah, Good. you have time. <laughs> I have time to look. A little bit of time. I'm a little anxious and stressed about finding a job, but I have to remind myself that I've still got money and Evie and I aren't going to starve anytime soon. No. And you've also gotten some good leads, like mm-hmm. you said, and you've gotten some really good feedback. And so I think that you should be confident yeah. with well, what has been given back to you. And I think it's important, too, that you're taking the time to find something that is going to be a good fit. That you're mm-hmm. not just like yeah, jumping into something sure. because you need the job. Because Now, if I don't get anything by the end of the year, well, yeah. I may be <laughs> jumping into whatever anybody will give me. But that's something that doesn't suck right now is that you have that, that opportunity, opportunity yeah. to like be a little picky about it. So that's cool. Um, Things that don't suck, Hannah. Uh, my thing that doesn't suck is that I get to go home and sleep. I'm very tired. Yay, of course. <laughs> Why are you so tired? I don't know. Were you out late last night? I saw you put something on Facebook. No. You were out late last night, weren't you? I was out until like 6 o'clock. I got home at 7. In the morning? Yes. No, at night. Yes, I was drunk, but I took a great drunk nap that turned so, into like a drunk a sleep. sleep. <laughs> Again, going Again. back to Jesse's thing. At that point, it's just a sleep. I want okay, so I'm gonna go next then, since I'm last and I'm the only one left to go, and I'm gonna go into the theme of this podcast and which is Thanksgiving, and I'm just gonna talk about a few things that I'm grateful for. So things that don't suck, I'm grateful. Things that maybe we don't always remember. I'm grateful that I have a warm house to live in, a roof over my head, and food to eat. That we had a nice meal tonight. That was great. I'm grateful, even though it was a. Mm. Instant mashed potatoes and a box of Elvita mac and cheese. And <laughs> it was still good food, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my family that I love. And uh, I'm just grateful. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Feeling the thanks. So for those of you who haven't caught on yet, Evelyn, my 10-year-old, almost 11-year-old, gets to sit in the background And listen, if the podcast isn't too gruesome, and I want to share her things that don't suck that she just shared with me, things that don't suck, me. And that was it. So, Evie, oh, I'm sorry. Things that don't suck, me, I'm awesome. So, Evie's things that don't suck is herself. Is Evie. Mm -hmm. Because she's great. Keep up that confidence, kid. Yeah, keep it forever. Don't ever let go of that confidence. And that and that's a shout out to the rest of you out there too. Don't ever let go of Don't that confidence. Don't ever let go of your confidence. If Be you're you. ever feeling shitty, put on Lizzo and then just like <laughs> stop feeling shitty. If you're feeling <laughs> shitty, listen to our podcast and know that you're awesome. Yeah. Listen yeah. to your podcast. Be thankful you're not missing your dad, and then you'll feel less shitty. Yeah. Just right. You're still here. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's kidnapped you or killed you. Or both. Or both. Or both. All right, guys. Well, it's been a fun time. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back here in two weeks um, recording episode seven, where Belle is going to tell us some stories about aliens. aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, have a happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Eat some good turkey. Some good turkey. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, happy life. Happy life. Don't forget to find us. Don't forget to find us on Twitter, Facebook. Instagram, FFS, the podcast, F.Dub Family Storytime. Follow us to stay tuned. Behind the scenes content, all kinds of fun stuff. That's right. Someday. Or just. Right now. Some. Get on that bell. Yeah. A I little bit am. of fun stuff. All the fun stuff. There's a lot of fun stuff <laughs> on the there feels. right now. All right. Thanks. Bye.